Welcome to the Fast Forward podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, a series designed to answer the questions that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. Now, today we're talking about social media and SEO, that dreaded search, getting your company seen on your platforms of choice. Now, on our earlier podcast with Karen Bright, we talked about marketing strategy, understanding your audience and your channels, but you can't do them all. So today's guest is going to take that one step further with 10 years experience in SEO and social media. Welcome today, AJ Handley-Rowe. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. AJ, let's kick off with a little bit about you. Um, as you've had a non-traditional uh, journey into the digital space, can you share with us a little bit about your digital career? Yes, yeah, so I um, went to university and did creative art subjects. So I did English literature with drama, always loved writing, liked performing. So it was a natural step, really, in terms of interests and skill set. Um, and then towards the end of my degree, I wanted to move more into marketing or into content creation of some kind. Content creation wasn't really a term people used. It's sort of back in 2006, 2007, but yeah. now we would refer to it as that. Yeah. Well, Facebook um, was just starting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were all just along Bebo. <laughs> On MySpace. Don't forget MySpace. Okay, sorry. The mighty MySpace. Sorry, I'm a Bebo. So um, when I left university, I wanted to go work at an agency. Um, so I started off actually doing auditing and sales for a digital agency over in Chester. Um, so doing SEO audits for clients, looking at the technical side of their websites and looking at sales. Um, I realised quite quickly sales wasn't really for me. I don't think I've got the right kind of attributes, the right personality type for it. Um, I handed my notice in. And they came back with a counter offer essentially of we've created a graduate scheme for you for an SEO technician. Would you like to do it? I obviously bit the hand off um, and so started building up my skill set in terms of the actual deployment of the SEO. So I'd been quite comfortable doing the auditing and the kind of analysis side and the data side, but then building up my skill set in terms of the actual delivery, uh, which then branched more into social media. So at the time, uh, businesses weren't really on social media kind of back mm. in 2008. It was very much a, a personal thing. Facebook was kind of the main platform people used, mm. but businesses didn't do tons on there really. They were just starting to get on Twitter. Twitter had been had been going a little while. Um, I worked with lots of law firms at the time in terms of humanising the brand, utilising social media to, to storytell essentially and to gain that audience trust and to gain that audience interaction. Um, from there, I worked at another agency, headed up digital there, looking after SEO, social media content, um, and working very closely with the web team as well. So kind of flexing those technical muscles again a bit more. Um, and then was approached when I was working agency side to go in-house at a university, um, which was a sector I never thought I would work in. You know, I, I'd never dreamed as a little girl of, oh, I hope I work at university one day. Um, but it just seemed really interesting in terms of the, the challenges that they face as a sector. It gave you a different insight, didn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. It was really interesting, actually, to go from being that agency side. And although you have a lot of ownership of your work, you're not the owner of a brand and you're not the brand guardian and you're not in charge of that brand. It was really interesting to flip onto that other side of... Mm being more immersed in the culture of an organisation and being more immersed in the decisions that happen before you get to tactical marketing. So, 
even above marketing strategy, that kind of wider strategy, the operational side of things, um, managing a bigger team, managing lots of stakeholders, being involved in boards and business cases and all the things that I guess some of the listeners for this will become involved in as their businesses grow and as their entrepreneurship kind of develops. Mm. Um, so that was a real steep learning curve. I'd worked in relatively small to medium agencies where they're very agile so we'd come up with an idea for a client we'd make sure it was within the budget they'd already allocated us and we'd do it essentially we'd learn quickly we'd track we'd measure we'd redeploy we'd tweak and um, so going from that environment to an environment of boards and sort of yearly advanced planning and strategic plans that span over six years it was a really interesting sort of mode of delivery I guess and, tr and trying to kind of do your day job within that was quite interesting um, and yeah, lots of things for now, I run my own business, um, lots of learnings from kind of agency side and, and client side, really. Um, in well, terms it's a nice of... consultancy aspect, isn't it? Because you've been uh, almost like the, the poacher and the gamekeeper. Yeah, large... yeah, definitely. And I, I really found that I um, product owned a really large web replatform and redevelopment when I was in-house. And it was really interesting to go through that tender process from the other side. You know, I've done thousands of pitches and tenders and proposals and quotes and, and over, you know, over the last 10 years. But actually to be on the other side where they're coming in to pitch to you, mm. it was really interesting. And I've, t I've taken quite a lot away from that. Now I'm working for myself. When I do come into pitch or tender processes, actually mm. what does hit the mark and what you do need to be doing and... Yeah, and just to see the breadth out there as well, I think, was was quite eye-opening for me as well because you, you work in the way you work and the agencies I've worked in have all been quite similar. And actually some of the processes, I guess, and, and ethics and the way organisations do things differently was, was a bit of an eye-opener for me, definitely. It sounds like from what you're saying that you've been through a journey of sort of two very clear channels, which are sort of that SEO search um, aspect and the mystery of, of Google and then the sort of somewhat newer aspect of, of social media but there's there's an element of very sort of different nuances in there so I'd like to split our chat down um, in that way today if you don't mind. Um, so let's start with um, SEO search. Let's start with the real basics. What is SEO? Yeah so SEO stands for search engine optimization. Um, it's also referred to as search engine marketing, which generally encompasses the organic and the paid elements. And SEO is basically <clears throat> the act of manipulating your web content and your web presence to rank more effectively in Google, broadly in a nutshell. Um, mm. Please don't tweet me if you're a fellow SEO out there and you think it's, you've got a slightly different one. I think it is. Well, you're a Google certified, so I'm going to take, <laughs> take your advice as good advice. That's very kind. Um, so, yeah, really, it's about what happens when any user puts in any search term, for instance, puppies for sale, and then it's the things that happen behind that algorithmically that mean those specific results are served, mm. essentially. And you say when you say free um, and paid, I mean, even though when it's free, you still have to pay someone to, to get those free terms, right? Yeah. And make sure that they're in your in your website. Yeah, not not necessarily. Mm. Um, I know some SMEs that do it themselves. I know some websites that have ranked almost by accident, and that's not to detract from what myself or what other SEOs do, but mm -hmm. um, the algorithms really, really changed over the kind of 10 years I've been working and optimising for Google. And it used to be very transactional. It used to be very much the people who had the biggest teams and could pay the most generally ranked the highest. Mm -hmm. um, and Google have worked really, really hard to kind of kick out bad SEO, essentially, and 
really focus on nuanced search results and search results that are really meaningful for the users. Mm. So it's actually leveled the playing field a little bit. And But you are right. I think most websites need some Somewhere. kind of stir, whether that's technical auditing to say, do you know what, there's some problems here that mean your site isn't ranked and it isn't great for users. And, and that's the key thing really about SEO is if a site's good for users and is relevant and valuable and works essentially, mm -hmm. chances are the search engines will also see it in a favourable light. So who should be thinking about, um, if we think about Google and search as a, as a channel, um, who, which businesses out there should be thinking about that as a, as a really important piece to their marketing strategy? Because it's not, it's not as important for every single business, is it? Yeah, so I think it depends what you're using your website for, really. If your website is a brochure site, that once you've met someone at an event or your sales team have gone out and met them, you need somewhere to send them for a mm. bit of background information, then SEO is probably not for you. If, however, you want your website to generate leads, then it, it absolutely is. So it, it, rather than it being a sector-specific thing, I would say it, it's kind of anyone who wants their website More to act. Purpose. Yeah, 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 exactly. So if you want your website to be almost an extra salesperson, mm. SEO and conversion rate optimization are definitely for you. If you just want somewhere that once you've met somebody or once you've had a first sale call, you want to just send them to as a yeah. brochure so they can see what you do and you can show off essentially some of your best work, then in that respect, you probably don't need SEO quite quite as much. When you say leads, I guess that could be um, whether somebody's actually selling something directly on, like they have an online shop on their site, someone that's selling clothes or selling shower heads or something that you can go to the site do a transaction and crack on, or what's the other side? I suppose or if it's like selling a service. Yeah, so, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Like, you know, software as a service. Somebody wants to sign up to. Yeah, so I mean, SEO is great for product optimization, and Google has some quite nice tools as well for people selling products directly and for businesses selling products directly. Um, but yeah, for services. So if you're a lawyer or if you're a tech startup that has got a very specific solution to a very specific problem, actually, then what we deploy there is what I call problem-based optimization. Mm -hmm. So people might not know they need your products or service. They might not even know what to call your products or service but they're searching for the problem they need fixing. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I would frame it, probably for a lot of the listeners here, would be around if you're solving a problem, yeah. what might people search to find and address that problem and be getting into that mix, so producing lots of things like white papers, blogs, step-by-step -step guides, those kind of things, so that you're capturing that kind of problem-based search yeah. market, essentially. So con like creating content would be one of the, like if we think about some of the, for those, for those companies that do need to do that transactional type business on, through their website and that search engine um, optimization is the, the channel for them, like is that one of the things that they can, you know, simple practices that they can deploy? Because again, that's you're creating content, writing a blog, um, maybe not, you know, what, writing a white paper, but writing blogs are, are quick and easy to do. 450 words, I think, is yeah, the optimum. Yeah. Um, you know, is that one of the things that they can deploy to sort of improve that or what kind of sort of simple tricks and tips could you advise yeah, so on S SEO? SEO is broadly split into three um, factors. So you've got your technical SEO, which is how your website's built. So that includes things like, has it got a security certificate? That would be a big tip, actually. If you haven't got one on your site, get one. Yeah, um, it's surprising how many still don't. You yeah. know, they've got flagged up here all the time. You're like, I want to look at that website. Yeah, yeah, and particularly working somewhere like this, actually, where you've got quite stringent mm. um, sort of digital security, web security. Yeah. I imagine you get it quite a lot yeah. because it is but not quite there for people. But I think even with that, 
that whole sort of the, the sort of the the big focus that there is on cyber and that kind of security threat. Like most companies are now, like I would be surprised that most sort of companies aren't going down that security platform where they're preventing you know their users um, or their staff to be able to access sites that aren't don't have a security certificate. Yeah, I think people just don't know. I think there's not only if you're not in the sector. Mm. There's probably not that much information out there of, you know, a lot of my clients are SMEs mm. and when I talk to them about it, they a lot of them say, I, I don't really even know what that is. Mm. And I, and then I say, oh, I can do it really quickly and they, and it's cheap and they go, oh, wow, amazing. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, so for the benefit of entrepreneurs who are out there, what is a security certificate and how quickly and easily can you get one? Uh, really quickly and easily, you do it all online and it's essentially a certificate that is kind of the hallmark of the fact your site is secure and safe and it can be on a HTTPS um, string, essentially, mm -hmm. rather than HTTP. Uh, it doesn't change how your site behaves, how it works, but it just, A, gets you through people's firewalls, B, gives you that hallmark of security, and C, um, from my perspective, Google looks more favourably on sites with an SSL certificate. Nice. Okay. So that's technical. That's SEO. technical. Yeah. yeah. Then you've got your content, so that's everything that's on page, so that's your... Um, static pages, so your products, your services, your who we are, what we do, who we do it with. Then it's things like your blogs, um, your news, anything that's words or consumable content, so video, imagery, galleries on the page. Um, and then your final part is your off page. So that is essentially your backlinks. People have probably heard about backlink profile or getting backlinks. So that, that's your off page element. Yeah, that's one of the things that I learned when I did your class at the mini MBA at uh, Salford University, or University of Salford, I should say. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a, in a wee minute. Um, great. Okay, so what are some of the common mistakes that um, you've seen um, businesses make in, in terms of building out their SEO strategies online? Probably a big one is around going after the wrong keywords, or I, I generally refer to the search terms. So thinking that you know what people are going to search for and then optimizing for that. Um, there's tools out there, so Google has Keyword Planner where you can actually go and see what people search for and the volume of searches for that. Um, putting optimization and Google ranking above the user experience, I would say, is probably one of the biggest errors. Um, I try really, really hard, probably because I'm from a bit more of a mixed background, I'm not as focused on just SEO in isolation, but I try really hard to always put the user first because my theory on it is if it works for a user, it's going to work for Google. So if your content is unique, engaging, adds value for an individual user or a group of users, chances are it's going to rank well. Um, so that's a, another big one. And then probably the third one would be sort of utilising black hat techniques. So either doing yourself or paying somebody to do things like keyword stuffing where you just decide there's a keyword and I'm doing inverted commas with my hands as I say that <laughs> that you want to rank for and just stuffing it through all your content so it, it doesn't make sense um, that could be buying dodgy backlinks essentially so I think yeah they're probably the three three biggest pitfalls with it. Yeah, let's just expand out on that because it was one of the things I learned in your class was this whole white hat SEO and black hat SEO in this kind of murky world that, that lives out there. Um, and I think, you know, when people at um, early stage, on uh, founder stage, certainly when I was up, somebody could have come along and tried to sell me a package offering all those things and assuring me, yes, yes, don't worry, that's all fine and standard practice. I wouldn't have known the difference. So can you elaborate a little bit on that and sort of the things that um, founders should look out for? Yeah, definitely. So I think 
positives to look for and it being an SEO technician or an SEO agency that will do the best for you. I'd be looking for them to be really focusing on content and um, for them to be really looking at content outreach in partnership with sites. So mm -hmm. if they're saying we're going to pay a whole bunch of sites to publish your content, that would be a big red flag for me. Whereas if they're saying we've got these trusted partners and we want to work with them on some angles or on some topics, that's the very positive messaging I think you would be hearing. Um, if they talk a lot about keyword density, keyword density is important, but it is not the be all and end all. And I find there's usually a correlation between if they're banging on about keyword density, they're probably utilising some, it might not be black hat, it could just yeah. be grey hat, as I like to call it, <laughs> this kind of middle area. Um, so yeah, looking out for that. Anything around paying for links. Um, there is so much debate around paying for links. And I think the, the broad feeling is it probably does happen. And SEOs kind of accept it happens, but it's something I personally never do and I would always advise against because you just don't know. Google changes its algorithm so, so regularly and there's been some really big algorithmic changes over the last 10 years where I've seen sites go from being in the top five rankings to being completely out. And it's those kind of practices mm. that will contribute to that. Whereas if you're focused on great, unique relevant interesting content that people want to share and want to dwell on there's not really much damage you can do in that arena you were talking about backlinks there and that was actually one of the really cool things that i uh, took away from from your class and have actually um, invested some time on that with tech manchester and, and the partners that we work with because we were unofficially kind of supporting each other kind of in social land, but not actually any kind of sort of uh, tangible uh, way between our sites. So we've now started doing that with some of our partners, which has been really great. Um, and when I told you about a couple of them, you went, oh, they were really good um, because of the type of website that they were. Um, so can you explain a little bit more about backlinks and wh why backlinks can maybe be more valuable? depending on where they're coming from than others. Backlinks generally, I talk about them as being like a vote. So if a site links from their site to your site, that's like a vote for you. It's an endorsement of you essentially in the eyes of the search engine algorithms. Um, so what used to happen and why lots of sites got penalised was everyone went out and either bought or manipulated or however they got them. And that's a whole separate podcast episode. Um, they got a whole bunch of links. And then when algorithm changes came, they all dropped out. Um, but backlinking still has its place. There's, I read articles probably every week that say backlinking is dead, backlinks are dead, don't worry about backlinks. Um, but I think actually strategic high value backlinks are still of value and, you, and I can see it in the sites I work on that it, it does impact definitely. Um, so it's like a vote, it's like an endorsement. And I think the big thing around backlinking is it being genuine and it being authentic. So if you're working with a specific accrediting body or a specific type of technology, say you're building an app and you're using a particular type of technology and they link from their site to you as an example of who's using their tech, mm -hmm. perfect, it's really good, it's really valuable because it's a genuine backlink, it is genuinely useful to their users to link to you and to share what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, different, like Trish says, different domains have more authority, so uh, .gov.uk, .ac.uk, those kind of authoritative bodies generally carry a little bit more weight. Um, that's not to say, please don't start ringing your local university or your local council <laughs> asking for backlinks. We're sorry, just, University of Manchester, yeah. Manchester and University of Summer. Just, just remember what I said about the authentic and helpful <laughs> piece of it. But if you are working yeah. with those kind of organisations, and it is appropriate to do so, 
then, you know, it is worth asking for a backlink and seeing if there's something you can do there. Yeah, um, but it's reciprocal too, right? Yeah, 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 so you can do reciprocal as well. And again, I've a bit of a broken record with this, but always put the user first and always put those real-life interactions first. And I think there's a bit of a gut feel thing with this, and you don't talk about gut feel much in SEO because it's quite technical, but mm. if it feels like a bit wrong, it probably is, so don't do it. Before we move on to social, I, I know that one of the things you're very passionate about is data and making yes. data-driven decisions. Um, and obviously, we've just spent a lot of time talking about maybe keyword planners and how you would build this in. But how do you measure what difference it's making and, and to, to allow you to then improve? So you, how do you, you've got your baseline, you've done some stuff. How do you measure then to improve? Yeah, so your early indicators, um, although I've said it's not all about keywords, tracking your keywords is quite a good early indicator. So think about the keywords you're optimising for, but also your broader, what we call long tail terms that are relevant. Um, What's a long tail term? It, so it's a longer term. So it's something like, say, puppies for sale versus the long tail would be Cavapoo puppies for sale in Stockport. Okay. For instance. Yeah. So it's that more specific term. So not as many people search for it, but they generally are more likely to convert because it's a more specific search. Mm -hmm. um, it's generally easier to rank for those terms as well. So think about those and just, just try and track as much as you can and just you can start to see, even if it's a move from you weren't ranked at all to you're in the top 100, it shows you that you're going in the right direction, you're doing the right things. And how do you do that? How do you track? Yeah, so there's loads of different software out there. Um, I'm a really big fan of the Moz suite of products. So Moz.com, um, it used to be called SEO Moz and then they dropped the SEO. Um, there's other ones out there as well. There's quite a few free tools. If you just want to have a quick check. Um, Google. Just go yeah. Free SEO yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Majestic SEO is a great paid for one that yeah. I, I'm a bit of a fan of. Um, and you can, if you're really desperate, just search for yourself and have a look. However, I would caveat that with personalised search results. So it will impact. So if you're searching for your own brand, chances are you've been on that site quite a lot. So it's going to mm. skew the results and it's going to rank more highly. So I would always use... Um, a piece of software or a tool of some sort just because then you get a clean result and um, then off the so, so keywords is kind of an early indicator am I kind of doing the right thing and um, the big two things really are traffic and conversions so is your traffic going up you know if you employ an agency or an SEO technician or you get some in-house resource and in a year your traffic hasn't gone up there's something very wrong either with mm. your site or with your strategy or with the work that's being done um, so traffic's a big one, obviously, and then the conversion. So make sure you're using your Google Analytics to measure your traffic, but then also to set up goals. So goals can be anything from there's a page with a video on and we'd like people to watch that video because we know they pick up the phone at the end. Mm -hmm. So a goal could be dwell and time on that page. Set that, can't yeah. you? you can actually set that on Google Analytics. Yeah. There's a section called goals yeah. that you can yeah. click, click, click. This yeah. is what I want and I want to measure that. Exactly, exactly. And that's everything from dwell time on a certain page to mm -hmm. someone's filled in a form, even down to um, phone tracking. So I've used phone tracking quite a lot with a lot of my clients and in-house in the past where we're actually tracking down to them picking up the phone and we know where they've come from, what channel they've used, what pages they've looked at on the site and mm -hmm. even down to what keyword they use to get to the site. Um, so it's about closing that loop, which is really hard with digital because... There's lots of different channels, there's lots of different platforms, people come from lots of different places, um, but it's getting as close as you can really. So, mm. But yeah, that would be the best ways to track. And then, you know, 
be agile, make some decisions quickly. If you know something's not working, stop doing it, try something else. If you know something's working really well, do more of it. Mm. Be agile, don't wait for your monthly or your quarterly or your annual review. That's the really big thing about digital and that's the thing I'm really passionate about and when I work with startups and SMEs that's the thing I love about digital and as does Snowy, Snowy really <laughs> likes that as well. Um, Two works for you Snowy. <laughs> because you can be really agile and you can change and make impact quickly. Yeah um, and it's um, I guess it's it's probably just getting to grasp with Google Analytics because I think it's quite daunting when you go on there for the first time isn't it because you don't really understand what everything means how can you kind of get your head around all of that as a find that's you know maybe created your own created your own site and you're actually trying to just work that out for yourself yeah so your big things to look at uh, there's a, a whole bunch of sections down the left, left hand side um look at the acquisition tab mm -hmm. the acquisition tab is really key i spend probably 60 percent of my time in analytics on there okay. because it tells me what channels people have come from it tells me what campaigns are working for me so i'd say get familiar with that bit um, there's so much help out there that you can access for free. So things like the, the Google Help section, it's got loads of videos. There's a forum on there. Mm -hmm. um, there's the Google Garage. If you're based in Manchester, there's Google yeah. Garage on King Street. Pop in there. They're really helpful. Um, ask somebody that you know. There's, there's lots of help you can access yourself online. There's lots of help in person. Um, but the, the big thing is really just getting under the hood of it yeah. and playing with it. Um, you just got to get on, don't you? Yeah, because it changes so often. You know, I've spent 10 years messing around in Google Analytics and there's still things I log in sometimes and I go, oh, that's moved or that's not there anymore or what's yeah. that? Yeah, so, that's new. Yeah, exactly. So there is no substitute really just for getting under the hood of it and playing with it. Um, if you're producing reports for boards or for presentations or for clients or customers or anything like that i can't recommend google data studio highly enough either and um, it basically takes the data from google and does a nice data visualization number on it so it all looks really accessible and easy to digest um, and if you can beg borrow or steal someone to help you set that up at the beginning then you can just log into that every month and look at that instead amazing so yeah that's like <laughs> a brilliant tip i will totally be doing that <laughs> um so let's move on to social the world of social media, there are a plethora of platforms out there. Um, and I think, you know, I sometimes think that you can be a really busy fool trying to be on all platforms and trying to be all things to, to all people. Um, how does a company decide, uh, you know, especially at those early stages, because they don't have any money. So the thing that they have is time, which is still money. Um, how do they decide which ones to best invest their time and energy into? Like, how do, how do they narrow that down? Yeah, so I think it's a, a bit of a, a shift of what are your objectives? What are you using social media for? And I think that's a real key one because a lot of organisations, and particularly startups and small businesses, they do it because they feel like they have to. They mm. do it because they feel like they should be. Like, And I, I get quite a lot of leads where clients ring me or prospective clients ring me and they say, we need to do social media. And I go, why? And they go, well, we just need to. <laughs> and I think because everyone's on there, you do, you know, I God, I... Sometimes I wake at night thinking about mine because mine's such a personal presence. I think, oh, there's nothing out there about my business or about what I do as a consultant. And mm. I think, oh, yeah, we need to do that because everybody else does. <laughs> so, I mean, I fall victim to it myself. Um, so, yeah, what are you trying to achieve? Is it that you want to drive awareness? Is it that you want to try and attract? Is it that you want to use it as a conversion tool? Is it that you want to build a community and you, you generally just want to converse and interact with people mm -hmm. so think about that and that will probably start to dictate which platforms might be good for you um, and then the other side of it is where's your audience so if you want to target 
I don't know, businessmen in the finance sector, yeah. then you'd probably be looking at LinkedIn as a vague rule of thumb. Um, and I think there's loads and loads of data out there. There's loads of market research. Um, if you can get your hands on anything like a Mintel report or any kind of report, really, any kind of market insight, definitely do. That will help drive some decisions there. Um, the other thing is just get on the platforms. And if you go into their advertising portals or advertising um, interfaces mm-hmm. and you put in a, almost like a pen portrait of the type of person you would like your to target, ideal customers. Yeah, it yeah. will tell you how many people are on there. So if you go in and you say, I want to target women 25 to 34 in Greater Manchester and within 20 miles who like yoga, mojitos and ponies, for instance, (laughs) just vague ones, it will tell you how many people are on that platform that like those things. So then you can, if you do that across all the platforms, you've got a pretty good idea of where... Yeah. where kind of the strengths lie and where the specifics lie. That sounds like a really, really good really yeah, good tip. Yeah, it's just a nice tool. And then the other thing is just ask ask your current customers, ask your current network. Yeah. You know, where where do you hang out? If you were interested in this type of thing, yeah. where, would you where like? do you hang out online? Where where are your tribes online? And where yeah. do you sort of consume that kind of information? And where do you like to see it? Because yeah. I think it's that blurred lines we're going to talk about is that, you know, if you see something that's quite business related on your Facebook, you know, it's like, you know, what is that doing there? I'm not interested in yeah. looking at that right now. Yeah, and likewise, if it's a picture of someone's kids on LinkedIn, I, yeah. I personally don't really like that because I'm, <laughs> no. I'm a dog person, not a kid person. So. <laughs> Put up more dogs. <laughs> so um, once they've uh, decided um, which platforms that they want to they use, um, what are some of the things that they can do to kind of drive, whether it's that audience to ultimately create um you know sales it's it, you know at the end of the day there's a sale there's a sale at the end of each of those journeys right because if they're not selling something they, they don't have a business yeah. so um ultimately that is they and it's just what part of the sort of the that whole pathway that the social media part plays so what how does that can you talk to us a bit about that because there, there is kind of a it's quite process and there is a bit of science behind it yeah so it can Social media and content more broadly can feature in all of those. So, you know, it can feature at the awareness, at the attraction and during the conversion. Um, I think it's particularly strong in the awareness arena, particularly when it's paired with some more traditional PR, because mm-hmm. it's about, um, I hate this phrase, but it just fits. So um, it's about creating that buzz and creating that conversation really about your brand and about your product or service. So it's really strong there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's equally strong during attraction. I'm working with a client, a B2B client at the moment, who they have a really, really strong sales team. They have a really, really strong um, telesales function. And what we've use social media and content for is to do the whole six touch points thing Mm -hmm. because the sales function telesales function because you can't ring them constantly it's just not going to work you can't ring them six times until they just back down (laughs) it's not going to (laughs) work as a sales approach Um, but we use social media to try and kind of keeping you in a potential customer's mind or a prospect's mind Mm. it really helps you to convey who you are as a business and I think that's become really important particularly over probably the last five or six years People don't just care about what you do. They really care about how you do it and why you do it and who you do it with. And I think in a way that a website maybe can't quite as effectively, social media allows you to do that in a really interactive, ad hoc way where you can be talking about our founder's gone to do X, Y, Z. Our client does this, this and this. There's a real Mm -hmm. opportunity there to raise up your clients as well and to raise up your network. Um, So I think there's a big opportunity around the awareness, big opportunity around the attraction. And then with the conversion, probably more on the paid social side, 
Um, obviously, the thread runs throughout, but I think on mm. the paid social media side, there's some quite clever things you can do with your data where you can serve people you know are on the cusp of converting the right type of content through the social media channels within the paid advertisement sort of realm. So, so it does it does go across all three really. So it's um, it's social, it, which inevitably means content. Um, of some variety. We talked briefly about blogs and, and white papers, um, but more so it's audio and video. Um, what kinds of things can um, entrepreneurs, early stage entrepreneurs do to build content, build engagement, but essentially without a budget? So I think the days of only being able to produce video that was of a really high quality with a full team behind it and in a studio, I think they're kind of behind us really in terms of social video mm -hmm. um, I think it absolutely has its place high production value video can make a real real impact into your content and into your kind of whole lead gen process and just to your brand as a whole um, but there are there is a shift I think to more authentic more off the cuff or video that at least feels more authentic and off the cuff sort of coming through to complement those big kind of value pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and there's little things you can do. So getting a tripod, so you can film on your iPhone. If you've got a decent iPhone or whatever the Android equivalent is, um, generally the video is quite good on there. So just get, get yourself a tripod so that it's steady. You know, you can get yourself, I've got a really cheap little small one that's kind of, I don't know, about 30 centimetres high and it just sits on a table. So if I'm interviewing someone, it's just really still and you can just set up a nice shot. Um, microphone, again, a microphone that can just plug into your iPhone or your Android equivalent, um, just so that your sound quality is a little bit, a bit, bit, a little bit higher, a little bit more high production. Um, a ring light, we, we've been chatting about them yeah, already today. Yeah, a ring light, if you can, if you can get your hands on one, if you can afford one, a ring light just to set the lighting, add a bit more depth of field to your shots. So there's just little things you can do, and I think just being quite open about the type of video you are producing so using it as a chance to showcase the team and to showcase what you do to show where you work you know utilizing things like flip charts whiteboards chalkboards props etc etc so being quite clear that that's the type of content you're doing and mm -hmm. it is almost like a, a one shot one continuous shot bit of film mm -hmm. what i wouldn't recommend you do is do all those tips i've just said and try and produce a slick intro video for your homepage of your website because it's yeah. just not going to work you know <laughs> and that has its place and there are some absolutely fantastic video production companies and freelancers across greater manchester that you can engage with for that and i think that's the key differentiator it's about if you're going to do it yourself think about the content more than the sort of technical side really so are you going to do a fact friday every friday that's a 20 second quick clip of you giving a fact about your industry that adds value for people because mm -hmm. if it does they don't care that it's shot on an iphone or that there's a little bit of background noise because you're adding that value and it's about the content yeah and we, that's a tip that we've picked up from you from that the class that we did um what other uh, tools are out there then that um entrepreneurs and we talked briefly about it was it yeah canva, canva. Yeah, yeah so again like there's great graphic designers out there and you yourself probably will never be able to produce stuff that is as amazing as what they produce and is as detailed and is as high production value. However, you've got to pick your battles. So if you've got a finite budget for design... Yeah, which is zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you've got a bit of funding maybe yeah. for web design. Like you're going to put that money into having a really, really gorgeous website that mm -hmm. has great UX at its heart and possibly some of your printed collateral. Mm -hmm. You're not going to use that money at that startup SME entrepreneurship kind of phase to 
produce loads of social media graphics. Yeah. So there are things out there that you can use to, to produce things yourself. So um, there's a tool called Canva. They have a free version and some various paid versions of it. And it's essentially, this might be dumbing it down a little bit, but it's basically fancy paint. So, so the program paint no, that, we all, that we all used as kids to, to draw little pictures, it's kind of fancy paint and yeah. there's loads of free stock imagery in there that you can use without paying for the rights because they're already paid for with the subscriptions. Um, there's loads of templates you can use, you can upload your own colour palettes in there. So it's a great way for startups and SMEs to produce some content that just feels a bit more polished. Um, there's a, some similar things out there for video and animation as well. I haven't found one I'm totally in love with yet, so I won't recommend any, but, you know, have a play yourselves, have yeah. a look yourselves and see what you like out there. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some tools that make it a bit easier. We've talked a little bit about using, starting to use all these different sort of tools that are out there that are available for founders. And that means that they start going a bit crazy with being creative and creating all this content. Um, but that then inevitably means that sometimes their intent to create something and send a certain message, the outcome can be uh, perhaps not what they intended. Um, what are some of the pitfalls that um, entrepreneurs can fall into and how can they avoid them? Yeah, I think a, a, a big one is just not making time for social media or for content or for any of your sort of marketing endeavours really on an ongoing basis. Mm. I think by virtue of being a founder, um, it's without being derogatory, but it's a personality, certain personality type, I think, and very dynamic, wants to get things done, very enthusiastic for things. Um, but I think sometimes, and I myself am definitely guilty of this, I'm really enthusiastic at the beginning and then my kind of interest in it wanes a little bit and then I get a bit bored of it. Um, and I think what needs to be really clear and really firm is that it's a commitment over a long-term yeah. basis. So although the temptation will be to just go nuts at the beginning and to do loads of things, actually start quite small, start small, do a little bit, and then if you feel over a couple of months that's sustainable, do a bit more, do a bit more. It's much better to kind of build and to grow it rather than give an audience expectation at the beginning that there's going to be... Or bombard them. Yeah, like yeah. They turn off. And that is the other thing as well. There's so much content out there to be consumed. You, you don't want to bombard. So, yeah, I think be really realistic about the time you can spend um, and kind of stick to it and then grow it if you can and just keep it up and get help if you can, whether that's free of charge help or whether that's you pay somebody or whether mm. that's within your current team. There's ways you can divvy up some of that work. Um, so I think that's a big pitfall. Um Ignoring the, the social bit of social media, it's a little bit cheesy to say, like, put the social in social media, but you really need to, if you're just going to broadcast, if you're just going to have a kind of tick list of I want to tweet five times a day and post on LinkedIn twice a week and do an Instagram post every third day and leave it at that, you're not going to get what you need from social media. It needs to be about that, that social, that interaction, engaging, mm. that relationship building piece. Um, and I guess a, probably a big pitfall for founders and for startups maybe could be around blurring that professional and personal boundary and um, it's really hard when when your brand is yourself and i know this myself um, and please don't look at my social media as a good example because <laughs> it it's very much a dentist children <laughs> thing where mine is just an abandoned wreck that i sometimes <laughs> post um, and i'm sort of troping out that line of because i look after all my clients so well i'm just so busy but but that is true um but yeah, blurring that line and it's it's really hard when something's your baby and where you're the brand or an idea that you've had and you've incubated and that you've loved and tended to is the product or the service. 
but just try and take a little bit of a step back. And, and that's not to say you can't have bags of personality in your professional social media, because you absolutely can. And there are some great examples across the Manchester business community of people that do that beautifully. Um, and you absolutely can be yourself and you can go to your level of whether that's crudeness or outspokenness or, or what, but just think about yeah. what you're comfortable with from a business perspective and where that line is for you and, and try and stick to it. Um, and also just maybe be a little bit pragmatic. People, when you put your baby out into the world, your product, your service, your piece of tech, whatever it is, you're going to be defensive over it. It's like anything creative that you've made, you're, you are going to be defensive. But just try and be a little bit pragmatic. Take a bit of a step back. You know, if you are getting comments about it that are negative or you're getting complaints or you're just not getting the the adoration you you think it maybe mm. deserves just be a bit pragmatic take a step back before you respond remember that you are representing although it's your business it's still our business and you're yeah. representing the face of that business so um, and I know it's really hard and I have struggled with it myself in the past where I, I hop on the defensive straight away and I feel yeah. like you can't say that about my <laughs> thing that I've <laughs> made <laughs> the yeah yeah, a few, yeah a few years ago when I worked at the university I took the university onto tinder um, we built an app that behaved like Tinder and then the following year we worked with the, the guys at Tuna Fish Media and we actually took the university onto Tinder and got people to swipe left and right with us and flirted mm. with them, as it were. <laughs> and, and we got quite a lot of stick from that and that was kind of my baby. It was yeah. my... Um, what kind of stick did you get? What was the criticism? Uh, on the Sky newspaper review, mm -hmm. uh, somebody said it was dumbing down universities and cheapening... Um, higher education right got quite a lot of feedback from the sector where they felt like it wasn't in keeping with kind of the hallowed halls of higher education and you know it's quite a serious sector and it's it's it essentially changes lives that sector mm. um, and they didn't feel like it was in keeping with that they felt like it was kind of dripping down a little bit and it and I had to just be like Do you know what let people say it I, I can't yeah. defend it as passionately as I would like because I am representing a brand and I'm representing an organisation and not everyone's going to like it. And, yeah. I, and I think that's the thing with startups especially. You know, you are innovative and you are doing something different and new, otherwise you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Yeah. And it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And I think it's just about, you know, having a bit of a moan about that to your mate over coffee or in the pub on a Friday with your team rather than biting necessarily on social media every time and and kind of keeping the emotion out of it, really. It's it's almost like setting your expectations, isn't it? And expect that not everyone's going to like what you do. Yeah. Not everybody does. It's like you don't need everybody to be your friend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and it's just accepting that there will be some people that will like it and some people that don't. There will be somebody who, some people that will voice that and there will be some people who won't. Yeah. And that, and yeah, this, exactly. that it's a happy mix. Definitely, definitely. And you don't need everybody. You just need some. Yeah, you, you'd rather have a small group of dedicated Yeah disciples that love yeah. your product Advocates. and love what you yeah. do yeah and that are early adopters and want to try things for you and want mm -hmm. to sort of shout about what you've done then everybody kind of thinking it's okay yeah. so yeah I think um yeah it's a tricky it's a tricky one that but yeah. I think definitely add personality let your personality come through your professional accounts definitely because you need to be unique you need to carve a niche you need yeah. to give that added value but just take a couple of steps back around the more emotional elements of that I think Something you just said there about, you know, allowing your personality to shine through on your professional accounts. But there's sometimes you see where people are allowing their, they're, they're blurring that line between business and professional in their personal social media. Um, you know, we talked about that um, before we sat down in terms of 
you know, um, sort of these places which are, for me, Twitter is very much a, a business place. Um, LinkedIn, although it's in your personal name, it's a professional marketplace. Um, Instagram, ultimately, I think, is much more of a commercial tool for me in terms of how I use it. And plus, people can follow you or whatever. But Facebook, I think, is that little place that I feel is that that's my personal personal and that's my pri almost my not personal, but private life. Yeah. Um, so I generally do decline accepting people that I've met in, in a sort of business capacity, even though even if it doesn't matter if I really like them or not. It's just that it is much more of a, a business, uh, you know, just a private place, you know, where I discuss, you know, have things about my family and about my nieces and nephews. And that's not somewhere I think it's appropriate that I should just let anybody have access to. But you do see that happening. And um, it, it, it it's difficult, isn't it, to having to, to keep that sort of that safe distance between the two? Yeah, and I think everyone's different in the way they interact with the different platforms. You know, some people have one platform and they use it religiously for everything and mm. they love that platform. Other people are, are kind of a bit more promiscuous with the platforms they use and they mm. dabble in and out of different ones. Um, and for some people, the boundaries are quite different. So for, for a lot of people, work and home are very separate mm. and they want to keep it like that. For some people, it's all just one big blur for them mm. and they, they're just you know they are trying to make friends with business associates on Facebook and and all those other things and I think it's just about understanding for, for you personally what are your boundaries and then what are the boundaries for the people you're trying to interact with so a really good example is on LinkedIn people send people send in a connection and then immediately following up with a sales pitch yeah and um, there's loads at the moment on my LinkedIn feed of people complaining about that and hating yeah. it and uh, yeah and I personally agree I totally hate it and it's at what point are those people getting wise to the fact they're not getting a response, so maybe stopping? Yeah. And I think it's kind of the definition of madness, isn't it? Doing yeah. the same thing and expecting a I had one result. sent me one the other day and then sent me another one three days later going, you haven't responded to my last one. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> of course I haven't. I don't know you. You've just literally... Like, and there's probably some automated bot that's doing it. It's not even you. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it's about just understanding what works for your network and what no. doesn't. So I think by like maybe the 10th in-mail where they'd ignored me, I'd probably go, well, this probably isn't working as a sales approach. <laughs> and likewise, you know, if you are trying to friend people on Facebook who you've met through a business capacity and none of them are accepting, maybe just think about that. So so there's no kind of rule of thumb, really, that I can mm. go, do this, do that and do that. But it's more just listen to the feedback and yeah. that might be silence <laughs> that you're getting from your networks and, and kind of do what's appropriate, really, for the networks you're in and understand your own sense of what your boundary is. There's been a whole lot of advice um, given today and so many areas that um, that founders can take bits from. Uh, I know certainly I, there was two or three takeaways from the class that I went to with you in the, in the mini MBA and today there's another few that I'll be taking on to deploy. Um, but if you had to wrap it up, what would be your five top tips from AJ to entrepreneurs for SEO and social media? Yeah, so I've touched on this one already, but putting the social into social media. So don't just broadcast meaninglessly to tick a box. Interact, engage, start conversations, comment on other people's activity. Just really build that community like you would in a room full of people in the real world. You wouldn't just start shouting how great you are. Well, <laughs> most people wouldn't start shouting how great they are. Um, so just sort of bring that interaction across. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to try it next time I go networking. No, I'm <laughs> The second one really is just thinking about adding value. So how can you add value? 
Um, we're all bombarded with so many messages every day mm. on so many platforms. Um, but how can you add value? And that cuts across search as well. How is how is you ranking for that term and getting more people to your site going to add value to them? What value are you adding? What makes them want to come back to your site? What makes them want to engage with your site or pick up the phone or fill in a contact form? Third thing would just be around quality. So anything you're doing, whether that's blog posts on your website, whether that's remodeling the way your user journey works on your site, whether it's a tweet, whether it's a LinkedIn thought leader piece, just think about the quality. I would always say quality over quantity. You know, if you are making your own graphics, make sure that they're spot on. If you are writing a bit of content, get someone to look at it for you, you know, someone in your network if you're kind of sole trading. And just just so that you're keeping that quality, you want that to be the kind of mark of what, what you're doing really. Um, also data, I think this has probably come across quite a bit already, but I really like data. Um, just make those data-driven decisions. You know, there will always be with startups and for founders, that bit of gut feel and that bit of kind of adopting risk and just going for it. But where you can, get your hands on as much data as you can and use that data. There's so many data sources that I've talked about today. Just get your hands on them, utilise them and make adjustments based on them. Um, not least because it just helps you with justifying some of your decisions as well. You know, it's scary being a startup and it's scary producing a new product or a new service. And I think as much as you can where you've used data to make that decision, you just feel a bit safer and you just sleep a little bit better at night, I think, as well. Um, and the last thing is just really about sort of uniqueness. So just when you are producing content for your website or for social media or whatever you're doing, podcast, video, just think, just ask before you deploy it, is it unique? You know, has this been done a hundred times before? And it might have done because there's only a finite number of ideas in the world, but how can we do it differently and how can we really shape it and form it to add value to our specific audience? So yeah, they would be the the big things. And I guess just have a bit of fun with it. I think for, for a lot of businesses, the digital marketing side is kind of the fun bit because it's not your day job. Yeah. So have fun with it. Don't see it as a chore. Try, yeah. try and just don't be terrified. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, don't be terrified, you know. We've all seen big messes, Donald Trump notwithstanding on social media. But the actual times it happens to that scale, mm. it's it's quite a low number. So just kind of jump in and, and try it really and see what works for you and for your network. Thank you so much for all of your advice and guidance today. AJ, I'm sure you'll probably get a lot of followers following your puppies, and but probably a lot of questions um, have been generated out of this um, podcast. So I think we, we normally finish by saying we hope you've answered all your questions, but I think we've probably created a whole new bunch of questions um, because we've opened up all these new doors in terms of awareness for, for entrepreneurs. But certainly we hope that um, that has given you an insight into those two um, very specific aspects around digital marketing. Um, if if you do have more questions, we'd love to hear them. Um, pop on to iTunes and SoundCloud and leave your reviews, leave your questions, and we will continue to answer those to help you get a better night's sleep. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 